Just be one second. Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, my guest today certainly needs no introduction. He is the best-selling, multiple best-selling author of books such as How Not to Diet, the How Not to Diet cookbook, also How Not to Die, which I do have, but I bought in audible format. He has not been on the show for almost two years. It was celebrating episode 600. We're now at 1500. Let's catch up with Dr. Michael Greger. It's good to see you. Two years is too long. I'm so glad to be here. I apologize. I've been busy uh, writing my new book, How Not to Age. It'll be out in December. Just today, I actually sent back the copy edited version. Um, so two more passes, and then it is going to be locked in, locked for the first edition. Uh, I'm very excited to finally have it out and to be able to peek my head back up and see what's happening in the world, and I'm honored to be back on. Well, if it's coming out in December, I'd love to have you back on to promote it at that time. Oh, let's do it. It's, uh, it is it is the, <laughs> the most, uh, the largest project I've ever undertaken. How long so, did it take you to research this book and write so it? So it took three years. Uh, that Yeah, longer than anything else. And I just I didn't understand how big this literature was, the longevity literature. Um, and so it was just tens of thousands of papers. It took the whole team years to sift through it all. And it was a lot, you know, I've never really covered. Um, and so, you know, with my previous books, you know, when I did How Not to Die, I already had a lot of information about heart disease and breast cancer and Alzheimer's. Um, and for How Not to Diet, you know, I had a bunch of obesity stuff already lined up. But for this one, it, it was just a whole fields of medicine that I just wasn't unfamiliar with. So I had to kind of start from scratch. But that helped me to kind of, you know, figure out, well, how would I present this? To, if I had to learn from scratch, how can I get people up to speed? And so uh, in the end, it's all good. It's just... Uh, it was, uh, it was is there quite any, a mountain to climb. Is there any small nugget you can share from the book? Oh my God. The whole thing is nuggets. It's 1200 pages of nuggets. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, it, in fact, it got so, so over 13,000, no 13, yeah, 13,000 citations. I can't even, it's ridiculous. So um, we, what we had to do, so they wouldn't publish the book because it was too big. Um, and so what we did is we, uh, took out hundreds of thousands of words, converted into videos. And so when the book goes up, uh, like 200 new videos will go up linked to the book. So that's what I'm working on now. It's, so it's going to be like a whole audiovisual experience where basically the paragraph will end. All right. And if you want need to know more about how I got to this particular recommendation, you know, here I show my work here. So all the recommendations are still in the book, right? All the kind of bottom line, but you know me, I don't like just, you know, saying something on high, like some guru, I'd be like, all right, here's all the studies. Let's go through them together. And this is why I come up with this recommendation. Unfortunately, I didn't have, I couldn't do it in this book because they wouldn't publish it. It was just too big. So a lot of that kind of show my work is offloaded into these new videos, which will go up and so we'll just be very kind of pithy. Here's the recommendations. Um, and so, boy, but there's just hundreds of things that um, we all need to get on board with. Is there an intersection between your previous works, How Not to Die and How Not to Die, like either behaviors or things you've talked about in those books that intersects with the How Not to Age? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. In fact, when I, I think in the preface or introduction, 
I talk about what really sets this book apart. It's like, well, wait a second. So I talk about how no one, there's no such thing as dying from old age, right? If you actually do autopsies of centenarians, um, even if their doctor didn't know what killed them and they just dropped dead, when you actually do an autopsy, you find out every single one of them died from disease. And the number one cause was heart disease, just like number one cause for everybody. Um, and so they had some massive heart attack that they didn't that they didn't even know they had heart disease, or they died from some hidden cancer that they didn't know about. And so wait a second, if there's no such thing as dying from old age, everyone dies from disease, then why wasn't How Not to Die all the longevity book you need? So I go through each of the top 15 killers and what role dying lifestyle can play in preventing, arresting, reversing. Well, then what's this longevity book for? Well, so, but then, you know, I realized, so, you know, I, you always hear me talk about number one killer, men and women, heart disease, but you can really think about it some other way. As I started to realize that, um, yes, uh, for example, uh, you know, uh, the, the, uh, uh, you know, having a high versus low cholesterol can, you know, increase your risk of getting, you know, heart disease by up to 20 fold. Um, the difference in heart attack rates between someone in their 30s and someone in their 80s can be literally 200 fold. Um, that age is actually a primary risk factor for many of our chronic diseases, higher rates of diabetes, and as you can imagine, Alzheimer's, cancer, et cetera. There's this exponential increase in disease. And so if there's a way that we could actually slow down the aging process, um, we could actually attack many of these different diseases at the same time. I mean, there's there, it's been estimated that if all cancer were cured, erased from the planet, the average life expectancy would just go up a few years. You say, wait a second, how is that possible? It's because um, the only reason you're dying from, you know, if you hadn't died from cancer, then you probably would have had a heart attack the next year or something, right? So it's like playing whack-a-mole. You, you treat one disease and you just die from another age-related disease. So if we could slow down the aging process across the board, um, then we could really flex those diet and lifestyle um, choice and control we have over these diseases. Um, so it's really working in concert um, to, um, to uh, you know, preserve um, preserve the function of our of all our body systems, our hormones, our immunity, our skin, our you know, on down the risk, our dental health, our hearing, our man, I go through all the uh, all the systems in the body and what we can do, um, every possible, you know, everything that's been shown to work, basically. Um, and so you can imagine it just uh, why this whole project took so long. Yeah. Anything that the Blue Zones has uncovered that you found to be consistent with your research? Oh, yeah. That's So that's part two. Part two of the book is basically kind of what do centenarians eat, right? People live to be over 100 or 110 super centenarians. Um, and so that work really does come right squarely back to Dan Buettner's work with the, uh, with the Blue Zones. What is it? What's in the Venn diagram of the Blue Zones? Um, what role does stress play? What role does uh, was you know social um, relationships play? What role does exercise and smoking and diet, etc.? Um, and so yeah, really did a deep dive into the Blue Zones. Um, and of course, what we realized from that work is there's only one Blue Zone that's actually still around to this day. Um, and is it Loma is, Linda? I hope it's it Loma, is Linda. Loma Linda, California. Uh, and they're the only ones that don't promote alcohol. Uh, they're the, they, 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 that's one of their, that's one of their benefits. 
Um, and so not only are they the longest lived uh, formerly studied population in the world, living longer than the Okinawa Japanese back in the 50s when they were the second longest living. Um, and it's the only blue zone that's actually not geographically isolated. Almost all the blue zones are islands or kind of far off peninsulas that you can't get to. And so they, they couldn't get cigarettes. They couldn't get sugar. They couldn't get processed food. They were kind of isolated. And oh my God, I had to actually grow vegetables, right, to eat. But uh, but Loma Linda was just is right in the middle of, uh, of, you know, the modern world, yet was able to maintain the greatest longevity. And to this day is the only blue zone that's still around. Okinawa is now one of the, uh, the, the unhealthiest part of Japan. Um, and so, you know, what can we learn historically? What can we learn right now? Um, and uh, yeah, so that was that's 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 the part two is, I think, optimal anti-aging protocol or something like that. And I talk uh, heavy, heavy about the blue zones. Well, because a lot of people point to the blue zones for justifying the use of olive oil and alcohol, saying it's good because they ate it or they consumed it. Oh, but I mean, that that's just a misunderstanding of kind of the traditional uh, Mediterranean diet, not the kind of bastardized Western version. I mean, it's like people like saying, you know, oh, the China study. So I'm going to eat General Tsao's chicken or something like that. It's like, no, no, no. That's this weird bastardized deep fried meat version. I mean, the traditional Chinese diet. Um, where they saw these benefits was, you know, rice and vegetables. I mean, it was like really um, where meat, if anything, was a condiment, was a flavoring, was a special, once a year special occasions kind of thing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so you really, and, you know, we actually have good data, for example, Okinawa, we actually took over um, Okinawa after World War II. And so we have records in the National Archives, exactly what people were eating. Um, and so we can actually know what they were eating then. And their their 70% of their diet was sweet potatoes, 70% of their calories, sweet potatoes, single food, sweet potatoes, a vegetable-based diet, 9% uh, calories from fat, really just uh, um, uh, remarkably different than what we see in kind of the standardized, standard uh, Western diets. Wow. No, so I'm looking on Amazon. It says the book will be available on December 5th and that the Audible version is already available. Is that true? Nope. Everything's available December fifth, as far as I know. I well, the audible available couldn't. I haven't recorded it yet, <laughs> so we haven't finalized the text. Um, and so I haven't recorded it. I mean, that's going to be. I I would remember recording. It. God, it takes me a whole week. My poor vocal cords are damaged for a month. <gasps> oh my God, this is going to be a long book to record. Well, but yeah, so I assume I'll do that this fall sometime. So. Congratulations on another one, I'm sure, to be a New York Times bestseller. Did you have fun writing this book or was it just all work? This was a toughie. It was fascinating, though. Um, and so, uh, you know, so, for example, like the How Not to Diet book, I was unfamiliar with the whole field of chronobiology, the effects of our circadian rhythms on our metabolism. And so that was like one of my, that was probably my favorite part of the whole book because I, I literally knew nothing about the field. And then all of a sudden knew what I mean, just the, this extraordinary effects, the timing of uh, of uh, lifestyle interventions to have the timing of exercise, the timing of diet, um, uh, timing of toxin exposures, all sorts of things, really dramatic effects. I mean, I knew about jet lag and stuff, but I had no idea that there was this all this, these robust effects. And so uh, I had similar experiences with how not to age. So for example, I have a whole chapter on microRNAs, which is this whole 
this we basically were not discovered by the time when I when I graduated from medical school had not even been uh you know characterized yet so no wonder I didn't know anything about it we didn't even know it we didn't even know if it's kind of the the whole system in biology and so it was basically like you know uh it was it was it was learning along with the rest of the scientific world um and so that that I just I I totally nerded out um and uh and it, it just represents an entire new system of why basically why plants are so good for us and why animal foods are, are 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 bad for us you know it's just like you learn about the microbiome and you're like oh no wonder it's all about the fiber it's all about no wonder whole plant foods are so good for you, you learn about inflammation oh no wonder an anti-inflammatory diet now it makes sense and same thing with these micro with microRNAs or xenohormosis or all these other new exotic entire fields of medicine it's like oh that's why milk is so bad for us oh now it makes total sense now you know that kind of thing and so it's not so much that there's any kind of large changes in the fundamentals but there's just all sorts of new additional powerful evidence supporting what we already know plus yes all sorts of tweaks all sorts of new herbs and things i never heard about before and um, that we can, you know, uh, we can improve our diet with, but, um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it's been a quite a, quite an interesting journey for me. Well, I can't wait to listen to it. Cause that's how I prefer to ingest my books. Oh, I can't wait to, uh, well, when I'm at the microphone, I will think of you listening. I love your, I, I love, will whisper in your ear. I love your oration. If that's a word narration, yeah. it's, I have a question, um, if you would mind answering a few questions that were sent in in advance from some of, of course, the live please, okay. please, please. All right, thank you. So the first one is from Lynn, and she is asking your opinion on why it seems like so many vegans, healthy vegans, have been getting cancer. Some have even died. And are there things that a, a vegan can do that's a healthy vegan once they get cancer? And what would you do if, God forbid, you got cancer? Oh, yeah, those are great questions. You know, it's like, um, you know, it's like, uh, you know, wearing your seatbelt. Eating all these like wearing a seatbelt. There's no guarantee you're not going to die in a car crash if you wear, even if you by clicking that seatbelt. It's no guarantee, but we know from science that uh, that it significantly reduces your risk of dying in a car crash. And the same thing. And so when you see that, you know, for example, you know, uh, in the Adventist two study, you know, vegans have you know more than eighty percent lower risk of getting diabetes, and that sounds really great. And I talk about it, but you say, wait a second. Diabetes is an absolute epidemic. Having 20% of the risk of millions that, that affects millions of people, that's terrible. What is it? How can we get below that? Um, uh, and so, I mean, yes, I mean, that's amazing that we're 80% less lower risk of, you know, the black death of the 21st century. But um, that still means there's lots of vegans with diabetes. Um, uh, and so, you know, what can they do? How can we reduce our risk even lower? Um, um, these are all things that are critically important. My next book is going to be on cancer, um, particularly for cancer survivors. Like you've been diagnosed with cancer. What should you eat for your particular cancer? We have a lot of new data now on not just cancer prevention, but cancer survivorship. Um, and so I'm really excited to dig into all that. Um, and so I'm going to be able to answer that question uh, much better 
Um, but the best we have now, or best that I know of, is you know the AICR recommendations, American Institute for Cancer Research, um, which has a list of 10 recommendations, um, and uh, some of which have nothing to do with diet, like stopping smoking, but their dietary recommendations are you know, uh, more plant foods, less animal foods, and uh, less alcohol, and less chewing tobacco, if you can call that diet. But um, so, but basically, and so, the, and they say that basically the same diet that prevents cancer is the same diet that you use to treat cancer um, after a diagnosis. Um, and so, you know, look, just because you're vegan doesn't mean that you're not eating or being exposed to uh, carcinogens in our environment. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, where was that? You know, one of, uh, when I was looking up, uh, polycystic, poly, um, uh, uh, um, polyaromatic hydrocarbons, um, uh, one of the, uh, highest levels was broad leafed vegetables like kale where you saw it and, she, and it's like something that this, this carcinogen that's found like barbecued meat and on kale. Why? It's because it's, it's from it's diesel exhaust. It's internal combustion engine that goes up and it falls on these broadleaf uh, uh, vegetables, but it can be washed off. It's just on the surface. So that's why it's important to wash off our fruits and vegetables, but to see like the, the one of the highest levels of carcinogens and one of my favorite beloved vegetables. I was all upset. But of course, it's not actually in the vegetable. It's on the vegetable. That's why we need to rinse even our organic greens because if there's a highway next door, yeah, you didn't spray pesticides from it, but you're but these these particles um, uh, can fall on it. And so, look, we live in a in a polluted world that it's hard to get away from. Air pollution causes God knows how many deaths. In fact, millions of deaths every year. And there's things we can do to rev up our detox enzymes by eating broccoli, et cetera. Um, so there's things we can do beyond just this generic eat plants, uh, you know, cut down on processed foods to lower our cancer risk even further. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not going to go to zero. Um, and so uh, we just have to support each other the best we can. Um, if I got cancer myself, of course, depending on what kind of cancer, I would, uh, you know, do my best to to live as long as healthy a life as possible, concentrating on not only survival, but quality of life and whatever treatment out there um, uh, or no treatment or uh, any intervention, I would seek them out and uh, make sure I had a good will so that all my... Uh, all the my resources, places where I keep my passwords I could share. I want all my work to continue onward. Find a replacement for me at Nutrition Facts. Um, this work is too important to rely on one person not getting hit by a bus. Oh my God. Will the book be called How Not to Die of Cancer? Um, uh, yeah, probably. Well, in how many years? Three, two? Oh God. Um uh, so I won't even start. So next year I'm going to be on the road. Um, so I probably won't start uh, promoting how not to age. I probably won't start writing it until 2025. It's going to be a while. It's going to be a while. Well, it's hopefully I'm hopefully I can I can finish it in two years though. I mean we're I'm getting good at it. <laughs> uh, we, we are we are a finely tuned machine. I've just the best fact checkers and the best editors, and we really have a well-oiled machine without oil nice 
Well, I look forward to that. And speaking of cancer, Dana writes in, Dr. Greger, is it safe to ingest one half teaspoon of local spicery Saigon cassia cinnamon a day? If not, what is a safe amount that is not carcinogenic? And could you please explain if there's been tests on people about this or just animals? Oh, um, so uh, yeah, that's a good question. So it's not a cancer effect. It's a liver damage effect, I believe, right? The coumarins, in in cassia cinnamon um but half teaspoon uh is is below is below the level of concern i have a video about it um that may be a concern for small children um at that dose but uh the the dose was pretty hefty oft i if i was forced to to guess it'd be more like uh, over a teaspoon but i actually have a video where I, where where i we explicitly say exactly how much for adults for children is too much but i think uh half teaspoon is well under that so i wouldn't be worried about that if you love your cassia cinnamon for whatever reason i'd still um encourage you to switch over to ceylon cinnamon um which doesn't have those coumarins but uh, you know the coumarins may actually be what helps cinnamon bring down blood sugar so if you're using it for blood sugar control then cassia you're probably not going to get the same effects switching over I find that just as a chef, the cassia tastes better. It, it's, oh. it's, it's sweeter. Oh, well, I remember when I used to make uh, 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 cinnamon toothpicks um, and I get cinnamon oil, the cassia oil tasted, the the essential oil of cassia bark was tasted way better than the true cinnamon bark. Yep. Yep. Thanks. Vicky, who's watching live says, or asks, did anything miss out on being in the 21 tweaks and why? Oh, did, was there did, did was there like twenty two and I and I you withheld one. one. <laughs> you withheld any. <laughs> um, no, I think. Uh, um, I don't think there was anything that I left off. You know, I was thinking recently that if I was to expand the daily dozen, if we were going for a baker's dozen, then uh, mushrooms. Mushrooms would be mushrooms would be the thirteenth, and that's because of two things: um, ergothionine, um, the so-called uh, longevity vitamin, found almost exclusively in the fungi kingdom. And the only reason, really, it's in plants is because uh, the the little the little fungal threads actually feed the roots of it, and so it can actually get into plants from the from uh, fungi in the ground. And the only reason that plant animals have it is because they may eat the plants that have been kind of cross contaminated by the fungus. But by far the most concentrated sources are, you know, mushrooms directly or uh, tempeh, you know, which has those, which, which has that fungal mass. Um, and so that, for that reason, and then spermidine. So I have a big chapter on spermidine um, in, uh, in the book. Um, and uh and the number one source of spermidine is uh, is tempeh. Um, lots of mushrooms are really high, soybeans are really high. Um, and so, yeah, for spermidine and ergothionine, we really should try to get uh, mushrooms, I think, into our daily diet. Even though we don't have the... The only thing that stopped me from making it uh, the 13th is we just don't have the interventional studies. We have really powerful observational evidence uh, suggesting that mushroom consumption is associated with living longer and better immunity and all sorts of things. But we just don't have studies where we randomize people to more than a few weeks of mushrooms. Um, and we have in terms of immune boosting effects, and we've been able to show that. But in terms of longevity, 
we don't have the let's randomize thousands of people to eat mushrooms or not for a few years and see who actually lives longer. Well, that's interesting because one of the viewers, Miche, sent in a question about mushrooms saying, I understand you have to cook mushrooms before eating them. I purchased dried mushrooms to use in smoothies and was wondering, so I have to rehydrate, cook and redry so I can grind them for my smoothies? Or can you just grind dried mushrooms as they come? Okay, well, this is uh, critically important that I learned writing this new book. And that is that it's not all mushrooms. It's right. We're worried about agaricine, and that's only found in the agaricus mushrooms, which is the you know the the you know white criminy portobello mushrooms, which is all, of course the same mushroom, just at different stages of maturity. But it's really only those mushrooms that need to be cooked um, uh, for in terms of the agaricine concerns. So, for example, oyster mushrooms you can totally eat raw um, with no problem whatsoever. We do want to cook morel mushrooms for a different reason. Um, oh, and we need to cook shiitakes because of this weird. A condition called flagellate dermatitis, where uh, weeks after you eat uh, a raw or undercooked shiitake, you can break out in this whip-like crazy rash. Um, but oyster mushrooms, no need to cook. So you want to eat those, you know, powdered, go for it. Great. Thank you. This is from Michelle. She says, do we need to do a parasite cleanse, even if we're not sure if we have parasites? And if so, what protocol is recommended? Absolutely not. Um, uh, that's the kind of thing that's come up by that, uh, you know, uh, quack doctors come up to sell you crazy stuff. Um, unless you've been diagnosed with a particular parasitic infection, which is almost unheard of unless you're, you know, uh, you know, getting like Giardia drinking out of a mountain stream or if you're in the, you know, global south in the developing world. Um, uh, we've just, we've eliminated most parasites from kind of modern civilization. And so unless you've been diagnosed with this particular parasite, um, and in which case you do particular things to eliminate that particular parasite, it's not something I would worry about. It's, it's just, you know, uh, you know, these, these people want to make money. And so they make people worry about something that doesn't exist. Yeah. And people do like gallbladder cleanses, all kinds, liver cleanses. I'm sure you've heard about those. So this question is from Teresa. She says, I'm vegan and I know vegans have elevated potassium levels, but my doctor is telling me mine is way too high and I have to get it down. I eat a lot of beans, lentils, and vegetables. What should I do? Okay. So high potassium levels in the blood is not a function of eating too much. It's the function of you're not get, you're not, uh, your, your kidney function is presumably in decline. We should be able to eat all, I mean, we evolved um, getting like 15,000 milligrams, 15 grams of potassium a day. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, most people don't even make the recommended 4,700 milligrams a day, but we, you know, evolved, our bodies really, uh, you know, evolved getting, you know, 10,000 or more. Um, and so we can absolutely take in massive loads of potassium, which is no problem because our kidneys just pee out the excess. Um, but if you have declining kidney functions, your potassium levels can rise sometimes to dangerous levels. And so the, the, the so the, you want to treat the cause and find out what's impairing your uh, kidney function. And so I would encourage them to get kidney function tests, go to a nephrologist if necessary, a kidney specialist, and find out because it's not uh, um, your, your healthy kidneys should be able to keep potassium levels. Um, within normal limits, regardless of how much you're eating in your diet. Perfect. Thank you. Here's a question on salt. It is from Caroline. Dr. Gregor, why is miso better than soy sauce if both of them are made from fermented soy and salt? 
yeah, so um, the you know miso um, absolutely remarkable. So I talked about how I think it was in How Not to Die, where um, you know there's two things we worry about with salt primarily, and that's high blood pressure um, uh, and uh, and stomach cancer. Um, and miso appeared to be um, the only kind of high salt food that wasn't associated with stomach cancer or high blood pressure. But, you know, that isn't enough. What we want are interventional trials. And they finally did an interventional trial where they randomized people to eat massive loads of miso um, or less miso and to, to see what would happen um, to arterial function, blood pressure, and found no effect. Remarkable. The only basically kind of salty food um, that doesn't cause these adverse effects appears to be miso. Why is miso okay, but soy sauce not okay? There must be something in miso that miso that somehow counteracts um, the effects that's just not produced in the uh, in the manufacture of soy sauce. In fact, a lot of soy sauce these days, uh, the lower grade soy sauces aren't actually fermented products at all. They're just kind of hydrolyzed soy protein, um, uh, kind of like you know Bragg's liquid aminos does, as opposed to actually being brewed, which is a longer process and it's more expensive. But um, uh, but uh, but even brewed soy sauce, really expensive soy sauce, um, it would be expected to increase your um, your blood pressure, increase your risk of stomach cancer. Miso appears to be the only exception that we know of. Must be something in miso that's counteracting it. We don't know what it is, um, but uh, it's not found in soy sauce, evidently. Perfect. Bethany says, what treadmill do you recommend? Oh, I recommend you go to your local thrift store. Get the find it's always filled with you know uh, the used secondhand exercise equipment, and then slip it under your desk with some you know uh, plastic shelving and duct tape, and you are good to go. Um, uh, and if you want to get fancy, there's all sorts of kind of high end treadmills uh, that you can use. But I would encourage. Look, start with a cheap one, with a used one, and make sure that it really fits into your life before even considering getting um, uh, one of the kind of fancier ones. Because otherwise, you're just going to end up in that thrift store <laughs> um, uh, with all the other used exercise equipment. Um, so I've uh, uh, I've tried a bunch on the market. Um, there's pros and cons to all of them, and depends on kind of what you want. Um, the one I'm uh, on now has a maximum of two miles an hour, for example. So uh, I can walk like I am now, uh, but this is literally as fast as it goes. So, um, you know, if I wanted to jog or anything, it's useless for that. Um, but it just happens to be a little wider than some of the other ones, and which helps when I'm tired and so I don't fall off and hurt myself. Um, so, and, you know, some are different space constraints or sizes or you know some you can kind of shove under a bed you know so i would just uh you know find one that that fits your life but i would give it a try first and make sure that it's something that you're going to stick with how many hours do you have money. Are, are you on it all day dr gregor from um well it depends on what i'm working on so uh well, mo most of what i do day to day is reading um uh you know just reading research papers and for that yeah all day i'm on treadmill you know, seven, eight, nine, ten hours, whatever. Um, but when I'm writing, um, that's sit-down work. And so usually I try to do half and half. So I spend half the day reading, um, so I can get some some movement in, and then half the day, 
half the day writing, something where I need a little more kind of fine motor movement. Yep. Nice. Uh, this is a question from Lynn regarding mammograms. Would there be a greater chance of overdiagnosis with the 2D or 3D mammograms? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah. So there's all sorts of, uh, you know, new kind of technology um, that, of course, is being sold as, as being better. But we really don't know until uh, because we don't. Uh, the, the irony is that if it's too good, then it then we would presume it would cause more overdiagnosis. Like, um, and overdiagnosis meaning detecting a tumor that otherwise would have gone completely unnoticed. Um, but of course, once we find it, then we have to treat it as it because we don't know, is this going to be a cancer that does something or not? So we have to treat it as cancer. So you can end up being a cancer patient with all the, you know, the attendant risks of cancer treatment for a tumor for which it wouldn't have affected you at all in your entire life. You wouldn't even know it was there. Um, so that's overdiagnosis. And that is a, that's a, that's a problem. Um, and so we presume, so you'd think, well, don't we want the most sensitive test available? Not necessarily. So for example, 90% of people have thyroid tumors by a certain age. So do we want to pick those up? No, we don't want to pick those up because, of course, 90% of people don't die of thyroid cancer. So the vast majority are not something we need to care about. So finding them would be a bad thing. Um, and so we always have to. So, so that's why we have we can put them to the test and sign to, and, 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 and do trials on the new technology and see, does it actually in the end, do the benefits outweigh the risks? Um, and uh, for many of these new mammogram technologies, we just don't have the data yet. Susanna would like to know if you know how many steps you take each day and what you recommend for us. Oh, God. I have no idea. So it's, uh, you know, like, you know, I don't know, 14 miles a day or something on a, on a, on a typical walking day. Um, I don't know how many steps that that turns into. But in terms of, I remember in How Not to Age, so the the whole, uh, you know, 10,000 steps a day thing was actually just like a marketing ploy of some uh, the some Japanese pedometer company that came up with pedometers. They called it like the 10,000 step gizmo. Like that was the name of it, but it wasn't based on any science. So it was all kind of this, this kind of accident of history that this 10,000 steps came. So if you actually look at the science, um, oh, I forget the... Uh, so basically, you don't need to get 10,000 steps. You can get benefits from less, um, but uh, kind of the more the better. And and I, I forget uh, the benefits you get at each gradation. Uh, basically, uh, the more we move, the better we were built to move. Um, sedentary, being sedentary, even if you you know exercise, you go to the gym, prolonged sitting six hours or more a day is bad for us. Um, because the blood stagnating our lower limbs. And so if you do have to sit down for a job, if you're a truck driver or something, it's critical that you take frequent breaks to get to some of that uh, uh, blood moving throughout the day. Here's a really interesting question from one of the live viewers named Margaret. Dr. Gregor, what's worse when going out to dinner? Processed vegan meats like soy meat, vegan ramen, or a more whole food meal, but with some shrimp fish if there aren't other good options? Oh, oh, I mean, I, I plant-based meat basically beats, beats animal meat anytime, any day. 
Um, it's just, it doesn't beat real food. I mean, you're right. So it doesn't come close to actually just like eating, uh, you know, actual, you know, uh, actually, you know, having some just soybeans in your, in your uh, broth rather than kind of a, a soy-based meat. But I mean, you know, cholesterol actually has some, may have some fiber, typically less saturated fat, uh, kind of on down the list. You don't have to worry about TMAO. You don't have to worry about, you know, heterosexual means and there's just it's just a a world of difference but just as there's a world of difference between animal-based meat and plant-based meat there's a world of difference between plant-based meat and actual plants um and so uh you know so uh, but if that's the healthiest thing at the restaurant then you know, that's the healthiest thing at the restaurant it's not you know birthdays holidays special occasions the day-to-day stuff that adds up on a day-to-day basis we really should try to eat healthy and unfortunately, there's just not a lot of healthy restaurants. You may be really lucky to live someplace where there's healthy food, um, where you can actually go out to a restaurant and get healthy food. But frankly, most places, you really, the, the best thing you can do is have control over your food environment. And that means learning how to cook. And where else to learn how to cook than Chef AJ. <laughs> exactly. I, doctor, you might not know this. I live in Northern California now and the restaurants do SOS free. It's incredible. Oh, well, you're just rubbing in. I know. If you ever come out this way, I'd love to. Okay. Take- All right. Uh, Amanda says, is there any research, any recent research on lowering lipoprotein A besides gooseberries? Uh, yeah. Black cumin, right? Uh, if I remember correctly, black, well, so plant-based diet, so vegan diet can do it. Uh, and this was, I think it was a Daniel fast. So it was a really healthy, it was a whole food plant-based diet, um, alcohol-free um, and uh, uh, AMLA and then black cumin, I think were the three things. Nice. Nikki says, my blood work just came back that my oh. blood glucose is a little high and also my LDL cholesterol. I know you've done a lot of research and reading. So wanted to know if you had advice resources to address these issues. They're not super high, but I want to be on top of things. Well, then go to nutritionfacts.org and type those search terms in. They'll pop up, unfortunately. I got to run. I'm so sorry. Thank you so much, Dr. Gregor. We'll see you in December. Take care, Dr. Gregor. Bye, Dr. Gregor. Thank you for your time. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Lodge. Please come back tomorrow for Dr. Gustavo Tolosa. Take care, everyone. And bye.